0: my name's Todd and this is Kathy Uh,
1: welcome back to another episode of Zen Parenting Radio this is podcast number 740 why listen to Zen Parenting Radio because you'll feel outstanding
0: 740 I like that number Mm -hmm. why because it's just solid it's like seven it's not like 738 it's like 740 wow now I understand (laughs) Thanks, and if you add seven and four it's 11 and I love that number there you go. Um,
1: why listen to Zen Parenting Radio because you'll feel outstanding. And always remember our motto, which is the best predictor, predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, we have our friend Michelle Eichard, and she is an author of uh, multiple books. Mm-hmm. The last one that came out is called Eight Setbacks that Can Make a Child a Success. Before that, we had 14 talks by age 14, and I think before that, we had Middle School Makeover, and Michelle is also going to be one of our keynotes in about six weeks at the Zen Parenting. Don't call it a conference. So, really, don't call it a conference.
0: I know. Our marketing person, Michelle, she doesn't love the word conference. She feels like it's stuffy and outdated. But there's no, we, don't, we can't find another word. No, we can't. Get Your together. listeners
2: can't see my face, but hi, first of all. Hello hi. And, and not call it a conference is so surprising to me. But, yeah. all right, now this gives me something fun to think about because I want to think about it.
0: Yeah. You think about it, and we we I still do. If you look at anything I write, conference because like I said, but she, uh, um, Jess, my friend who does this work for us, she said call it Zen Parenting twenty twenty four. So, but then it's hard to yeah, like what is that In a retreat? Yeah, that's what I mean. Then it's hard to navigate when people are like, well, what yeah. is that? So anyway, yeah, um, well, let's you let's, didn't do any clapping. Let's give her a special okay.
1: welcome without further ado. I present to our listening audience Michelle Eiker. Yes. Michelle, so glad to have you. Um, And sweetie, how did we get into Michelle's world? How did we come across Michelle?
0: Oh, geez, what was the first time I saw Michelle's stuff? I mean, I knew, I knew, I knew middle school makeovers. I saw it everywhere, but I don't think I had seen her face. And then when fourteen, you know, questions came out, everybody had it. Everybody's talking about it. It was everywhere. It's a bestseller. Um, And then I think I started following Michelle, and she's. Now, and this is going to sound so like it's about us, but I just thought you were a lot like Todd and I. I was like, she's funny. Which means you're awesome. I know. What a compliment. Thank well, you. that's, I mean, and that's what I mean. It's kind of like that I should just be focusing on you. But I, you talked about movies and you were, you didn't take yourself too seriously. And you also were, you are, you weren't, you you are really smart. And the things that you say, I fully um you know I'm, I love your Instagram page I'm there all the time and I also think I think at the time y- you were t- talking about things that we were talking about you were talking about rights for LGBTQ kids and you were talking about gun uh, control things and I just felt like there was a lot going on in the world and you were speaking up yeah. and I was like oh this is somebody that I and then you're just great and you are um uh, good friends with our friend Duffy as well. And then, you know, it just is, it kind of like snowballed in. So now you're, you're my friend. Now <laughs> <we're
2: friends. laughs> nice to hear. I do feel like we are of like mind yes. and like spirit and like humor. Yes. And I think that's, that makes it really fun.
0: It okay. does. And Michelle has uh, Academy Award parties, Todd. Oh really? Does, do you, uh, so do you do the, the
1: grid it. where you got to tally the votes and all that? Like we do or no?
2: Well, the way that I do it, so I've done it two ways, um, but I watch all the all the best picture nominees nice. and as many of the others as I can. Okay. I put on my Instagram my review of each of the best picture nominees. Mm-hmm. And then I've I either do a very private viewing of the Oscars where I have you know scored my card and I keep keep up with it that way. Or I do a party with friends. And I think I am more inclined to just watch by myself because I miss too much when I everybody's know. talking and I don't want to be the jerk at the party shushing people. Um, so it's best for me to just be be alone. I did have COVID last year, so I had to be by myself for it. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I handle it.
0: And you know what we have, Michelle? Because I'm the exact same way. I've been having these parties since like college and, um, and I, you know, people would come to my room and then I'd be like, you know, I'm trying to like here, so it's always been a struggle. But now we have, we used to have Twitter. Now I'd say Threads, um, and we also have text. So when something happens, you can just look yeah. at people's reactions, and you can also, t- you know, like text people and be like, "Did you see that?" So we can still stay connected. It's like an interactive thing. Yeah, now it's inter- it's because- interactive, even if you're alone. Yeah.
2: Okay, you're the first person to make me want to get on Threads. Yeah. Just just so I can talk to you on. The award night.
0: <laughs> you, you know what? I would say do it. I I think yeah. you know I've I've been there for a while and it's not it's not quite there yet. Where yeah. you know we we used to be with Twitter, but all of my people, all the when I say my people, they're not mine. Journalists, you know, experts, people have come over. So it's like cool. it's I'm finding things there now. And um, but it's you know it's in its beginning stages. So, but
2: come. Well, it would be nice to get in on the ground floor. Yeah. I was so late to Twitter that I was always confused and behind and yeah. felt left out.
1: <laughs> um, I'm looking at the best uh, the winners of the best picture in the last few years. And I was flying home from Italy because we visited our daughter over Thanksgiving, who was studying in Italy. And I saw Parasite. Did you see Parasite, Michelle?
2: Well, let me tell you what happened to me when I saw Parasite. Parasite was so scary in the theater. I had not seen a movie like that before that got under my like unnerved me kind of scary. And uh, I was with my daughter, and we pulled into our driveway, and she gasped at something, and I peed my pants. Oh. <laughs> Love
1: it. <I>
0: like, <laughs> you were like, that was going to come one way or the other. Yeah. Whatever was going to set me Thank
2: off. You. It's something, like, I was such a live wire after seeing that movie. <laughs> I loved it so much.
1: It's so interesting. It. Kathy, I don't think you'd make it through because it oozes discomfort. Would you agree with that, uh, Michelle?
2: Absolutely, yes. Like,
1: there's so much discomfort. Not like people murdering people, but like human beings be making bad decisions in a way that I've never seen. And it's all never subtitled.
2: Seen. Brilliant, brilliant. Yeah. Okay, what about this here? This is what I ran to grab off my printer. All right, what do you got? Oh, we started. Okay, so it, we don't know yet right. what's going to be collected. But I did look at the Vanity Fair predictions. Okay. And of these, I have seen a half because I'm already starting to do my homework uh, the one I like the best right now is May, December, and it's free on Netflix.
0: Yes, so. I, that's my next big, like, I was with some girlfriends last weekend, and I'm like, I'm so excited to watch it. And I'm sad to say it has all the elements that I love. Besides the, when I say sad to say, it's because even what the topic is, I used to be obsessed with, uh, Mary, Mary Letourneau. Oh. Yeah. So oh. I like just even that part of it, Mary Kay Laterno is that her name? So is, right. is it really good?
2: Yeah, I'll tell you what. I went into it knowing nothing. I didn't know about that. I just, within a few minutes of watching, I was like, oh, wow, she looks just like, and they were showing some news clippings, and I was like, oh, could it be? Could it be? (laughs) So I went and Googled, and it said, yes, this is definitely based on that. And I, again, deeply disturbing Mm. and and unsettling Mm. for many of the same reasons that we just discussed, like wrong decisions. We Mm. know this already. It was so well done. I'm still thinking about it.
0: Don't you think, Michelle, like this, and this is kind of like diving into our work a little bit, is because we we work in the world of human behavior and, you know, supporting people and, and supporting people and making decisions that hopefully have good outcomes. We can never guarantee that it's really enjoyable to watch a movie and watch people make these decisions and like really deep dive into why they do what they do. I think it helps my work. Do you think it helps your work?
2: A hundred percent, because you try to get the motivation. Yeah. You try to develop, my favorite book or movie is one where you end up feeling for someone you didn't think you could feel for. Totally. Mm. I love when that happens. And I think that's very useful in the kind of work we're doing, where everyone's making bad decisions all the time because we're human. <laughs> I am, you are, our parents are, our kids are. And we're still trying to figure out how to move forward while being perfectly human at the same time. So I think it's really um, this exercise of watching these movies and watching movies I would never choose on my own is is really about growth mm-hmm. and entertainment.
0: It is. And and it's and it's really being able to hold, you know, these really good movies that we're talking about, being able to hold that paradox and nuance of, of, about a character. Like a movie that t- I've watched a million times, and this is a comedy and not a deep drama, but is The Hangover, okay? Yes. So there, you know, you're supposed to, if you watch that once or twice, then you think Bradley Cooper's like a jerk and he's the worst friend or whatever. And the more you watch that movie, you the more you realize that he's actually... A good friend. He's he he is not a. He's still a jerk in this way, and he's you know he steals money from his students. There's things in there, small things, but that's (laughs) that's why it's easier to watch a movie though, because I don't have to deal with okay, that is a deal breaker if he was my friend, you know, like I can just see. that it's just if you ever watch the hangover again, just, not that it's hard to watch Bradley Cooper, but watch listen to what he says to people. He's very supportive, it's very interesting, and that's, just, that's even a comedy. so you can only imagine I'm really annoying to watch movies with sometimes because: Oh no,
2: I, I, I love to beat a dead yes, horse. Me too. I watch a movie <laughs> and talk about it over and over and over again. Um, you know, he's
0: in a best yes. picture nominee. Yes. Again. did you see it? It's not out yeah. yet, right? Maestro edit it yeah i haven't seen
1: it yet yeah i saw something on cbs sunday morning which is like the oldest tv show of all time i can't believe i watch cbs sunday morning now but they did an interview with bradley cooper about him playing that role leonard leonard bernstein he's like some some guy that's from the rem song that's the only reason i know about oh come on that's it that's it how could i have come across because his music
0: not my not my So I think Michelle and I both know because she reads all the time that he's probably going to get a nomination and Carrie, Carrie Mulligan is probably going to get a nomination, too. I've heard that's whoever. I mean, again, it's Bradley Cooper. He's probably going to he directed it, too. Right.
2: He's phenomenal. I really like Carrie Mulligan. That would be great. Um, Yeah, there are a lot of good ones here. I don't really like Oppenheimer. I didn't see it. I
1: haven't seen it yet, but I will. All
2: right. Well, I won't say anything.
1: Okay. So I love Bradley Cooper, and um, then we'll get to parenting. Yeah,
0: we're we're getting (laughs) there, everybody. But
1: I – what's his name? Rami Malek won for the Queen movie. Uh What was that called?
0: What was the Queen Uh, movie called? um, It was called –
1: uh, bohemian rhapsody, bohemian
0: rhapsody thing. i was like the song and, and
1: he was going up against bradley cooper who wrote I don't stars know was, born yeah he directed it and he acted in it and he took away the awards from bradley cooper mm. because i feel like bradley cooper was totally robbed and i feel like i'm in the minority i think most people are like yeah bradley cooper was good but uh rami malek was better than that michelle eichard w- what is your stance on who should have won that award oh.
2: Which kid – you're? this is a parenting question. Which kid do I like better right. is what you're asking me. It's right. really – it's so hard. Yeah. Who do I think should have won that year? Ooh. Oh, I, I, this is killing your podcast because I can't decide. No, no, no. I it's really, not. I, I cannot – I well, the, the correct hopes.
1: answer is Bradley Cooper. Just so <laughs> okay, right. fine.
2: Yes. Uh, I'll go. I'll, I'll follow the correct.
0: Um, I have a quick. I have a quick parenting question. Okay, but go if you, you, just, you well, decide. I I was going to give my opinion, but it really doesn't matter because I think that it's. It, you know, I'm I'm a little like Michelle. Like you can't. It's t- if t- you've seen Bohemian Rhapsody, right? I saw it. That's with you. it's insane what he did in that He's movie. Great. The Bradley, thing, the Bradley. thing about Bradley Cooper, the reason that I'm so invested in that performance is because he did sing. He did change his voice. He did also direct. He put that whole thing together, and in that, it's such a heart wrenching movie. But anyway, now parenting question. Go ahead, um,
1: Michelle. I feel like let's start with um, challenges. My biggest challenge as a father, I think, is I get distracted um, by trying to be productive in lieu of being completely attentive to my wife and my daughters. That's one of my judgments of something I'm not really that good at. That I'm working on, but I'm still got a ways to go. I want to start with you like you're a parent you know parenting expert people call us parenting experts whatever like we're struggling just like everybody else else's what which, which facet of parenting do you find the most challenging
2: oh this is so easy because i am working on this right now with my therapist it's mm-hmm. like a real breakthrough that i'm having which is so good so so often how we parent is some kind of a reaction to how we were raised mm-hmm. right and I was raised in environments that that in an environment that started off really chaotic and then um, shifted after divorce and remarriage into a highly structured, strict environment. So I went Mm -hmm. from one to the other as a little kid. And what I do now, and I realized I was doing it until I was bringing it was bringing stuff up for me. And so um, what I do is I really try to manage everyone's emotions. <laughs> I I am such a sponge for how my children are feeling and how my husband is feeling. I want the house to always feel good. And um, I will go for good at the expense of being a human who mm. has a full range of emotions, you know. So I'm like so cautious did my husband just snap at my son are his feelings hurt mm-hmm. Did my son not play golf with my husband when he said he was going to now is he gonna be upset and my daughter needs this or that and it is exhausting mm-hmm. to manage everyone's emotions and so that's my thing for the holidays is I'm I'm gonna sort of tell them like oh I've had this epiphany and mm-hmm. and and what I'm gonna try to do about it is, take you at face value. And if you tell me you're upset or you need something, I will help you. And if you don't, I'm going to assume that I don't need to have a reaction. Whew.
0: I
1: struggle. Sweetie, does that sound familiar? That's
0: my life. I mean, that's kind of what I mean. Like, that's what I mean. Like, you know, when you just know someone like you're like, mm, I do. I struggle maybe for different reasons. Our background may not be exactly the same, but I ended up with the same coping mechanism, which is make sure everybody else is, if everybody else, okay, if everybody else around me is okay, then I'm okay. And what that does is exactly what you said, then I am completely not regarding how I feel. Now, the interesting thing is, I do know how I feel. This is why I do what I do for a living, because I had to kind of figure out feelings and, you know, allowing children and adults to talk about them. So I know what I'm feeling, but I'm willing to sacrifice it. That's the, it's, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I'm better if everybody else is okay. So if they're okay, and they're, and again, it's that nuance thing where it's like, sometimes that's fine. You know, you guys choose a restaurant, I'm cool. But it's when you're, to your point, I am sometimes exhausted by everybody else. I, how do I, I don't even know how to say this anymore. We've been talking about this. exactly
2: the way I feel. I know. It is. sometimes I don't care, but a lot of times yeah. I, I will exhaust myself in service of making sure that everyone else is feeling okay and getting exactly what they need. Exactly. And, and that ultimately is not good. I can't tell you the number of times my kids have said to me, can you just sit down? Mm. Like just just relax. And I'm like, no, this is relaxing for me. I like Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) tidying or
0: whatever. And we're like, we're like gaslighting ourselves in a way because we, because it's that really, I think a lot of people, and I'm going to say a lot of women, I'm going to generalize, can really understand this weird place where it's like, you actually are okay multitasking and doing everything because you're used to it and you've done it. And when everyone's like, sit down or relax, you're like, no, this is what I do. But then the big question is, what would I do if I wasn't doing this? That's kind
2: of... can I really relax when the yes. dishes are sitting over there? Can I really? And I need to, I need to, I know I need yeah. to just get to a point where I'm like, I can, because mm-hmm. it's a little toxic to be like irritating everybody else yeah. in order to, it, really in the name of being helpful, it's weird. Well, and I no. think
1: that this is a very uh, typical um, dynamic between a heteronormative couple. I feel that I, and I don't feel, I am sometimes way tuned out like Mm -hmm. i am in my head i'm in my body and whatever's happening out there is whatever and kathy i think is way too tuned in to everybody else and i feel like i need to move over here and i feel like she needs to move over there um one thing i heard you say michelle was you said if you're gonna ask somebody your kids your husband whatever um, if they're okay. And if they say yes, you're going to believe them. Now, Kathy has this intuition that she knows if I'm, if I say I'm okay and I'm not okay, she knows I'm not okay. So if you ask, but your intuition tells you something different, are you going to be able to lie to yourself successfully and be okay?
2: (laughs) I think what I'm going to have to do is not lie to myself, but since I'm going to preempt this like social experiment by telling them what I'm doing, It's not that I'm lying to myself. I'll have to say I still get like internally, I still get the sense that things aren't okay. but I have to believe that you'll tell me when you're ready or you need to. And until then, I can't make it my problem. Mm. Like, I'm going to give you an opening and you're always welcome to come tell me. But I, I don't need to fabricate. That's what I do. I worry that there's a potential. for bad feelings. And yes. I want to smooth that over before they happen. Yeah. So I'm going to try really hard not to worry about the potential.
1: And if I'm married to somebody who's always going to ask me, it's going to take away my responsibility to ask for help. If I know Kathy's always going to come to me when I'm when it hits the fan, then I don't have any option to do it myself now there are you know there's this middle ground somewhere though because if you completely tune out that's probably not healthy but there's a middle ground that needs to be had and i think that in most moms there's i'll call it rescue or hero or martyrdom where they're taking way too much responsibility for them for for other people's emotions and i as a dad i think i'm taking way too little responsibility for other people's emotions
2: yeah, I can. I think that's sort of how it is in our house, too. And and my husband and I have a great marriage and, and like you guys, like really enjoy each other. And our house is full of love and comfort and fun and like all the right stuff. And I do think we both need to come more towards the center. Yeah, yeah. Um, So, you know, here's I will say the, the very best thing about my husband, the very best thing is that he's great at getting feedback. Like Mm. I'm sensitive, so I'm not as good at it, but he's really good. So if I say this is how I want to handle things, I think he'll be delighted Mm. and like, okay, let's try that. So
0: that's huge. And that is because that is something that I really appreciate about Todd, too, is two things about I am very sensitive to and my and and when we say that, you know, sometimes people will be like, oh, that means you're oversensitive or dramatic. And that's not really what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I because I do feel a lot of things I do sometimes need to negotiate a situation or ask for help or, you know, it's like the sensitivity is just um, I can't do this or we need to do this. The, it's, it's like and he's really good about he's not. I mean, maybe sometimes you can get defensive, but for the most part, he's like, OK, well, explain to me. And then I will. And he's like, okay, down. He's like, you know, he's in. So that's a real, that's a gift. I always think about that being friendship. Like, Todd, trust me. You know what I mean?
1: Well, and I will say, 99 times out of 100, I actually do get defensive in the beginning. In, in the, the like, beginning. Like, literally the moment. Like, even if it's like, you know, I'm biting my nails and she can hear the clicking of oh. the teeth against the nails. She'll, like, move my hand out of the way. Very and, gently, though. I don't, like, yank. Right, yeah. It is it is gentle. <laughs> but it's it's still a movement. Yeah, it's nice. I get defensive Every yeah. single I time. Know. And you have every right to to ask me to stop making that terrible sound. But I will just say, I am, once I collect myself, and maybe that collection takes five seconds, maybe it takes five minutes, but I do come back to center. But my initial is always one of, don't judge me. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that this relates just to, you know, pull it right back to parenting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think that this relates totally to how we parent our kids and what you said, Todd, in the sense that, like, if we take on all the responsibility for managing everyone's emotions, then we're really denying them opportunity for growth and learning and the rest of it. And so whether that's with our partner or whether that's with our kids, I think, like, the more we can shift – responsibility and opportunity and you know and all of that to other people to manage themselves the better everybody is
0: you know, I know one of the best things, this is like how slight this is for me. Like, this is just a little piece of how I do this. My my therapist actually retired in uh, August. Michelle was awful. Like, I I started seeing her. I know. <laughs> um, I know. I know. It was like I started seeing her in 2016. I didn't see her all the time. It was just somebody that maybe once a month. And it was just it's almost like having a clinical advisor. I mean, it's more than that. We went deeper. But it was like just someone to like throw, you know, therapy is just great. And. And one of the things that I, she, and, you know, cause she, we would talk about this issue all the time and, and the thing I did, I can actually speak about it more and what I ended up doing is one day my daughter came home and said, I want to do something. She wanted to, you know, go to Jewel or something and get stuff to bake. And I said, I'm actually about to take a walk. Let me know if there's a time constraint or something like that, or is this an emergency? And she's like, no. And I said, okay, I trust you with that. I'm going to go on a walk, and then I'm going to come back. Why that's a big deal is normally I would just not go on the walk. Oh, 100% I would ditch a walk. Right, exactly. I'd be like, that's... (laughs) I don't need the walk. Oh, sure, I'll take you. Yeah, time together. Especially because, you know, you work with middle schoolers in your most recent book. It's high school, too. Like you're working with older kids now, too, is that you you start to get in your head about they're asking me to do something. So I want to do it. I don't want to miss these chances. They're leaving soon. Blah, blah, blah. And my the language I really use is I. Say back to them, um, okay. I'm going to trust you with that. Not like I trust you. Not like in a tone like that. But if you're really right. telling me there's no emergency, I'm going to take you at your word. And then yes. when I get back, I'll take you.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes, and i i I have to think, even though I haven't been good about this, and I'm determined to get better at it, I have to think that it is a huge relief to the kid to yeah. know that there. I, I always say this about other things, but it's clicking for me right now that it's true here too. It is a relief to kids to know they're not the center of your universe. Yes. So when a child feels as though their success and their happiness and their social performance and their academic performance and like their performance in general, in life of life has an impact on how you feel all the time. Yeah. That's really hard for them. To feel that like, well, it's one thing if my friends are sort of ignoring me right now, that hurts. But to think that it also really hurts my mom mm. is crushing, right? So I think that the less we are entrenched or enmeshed in that way emotionally, the better it is for our kids. So just to to hear them or for them to hear you say, yes, I can help you with that later. I'm going to do something for myself right now is
0: a gift. It is. And I and I feel like just even I used to be like, well, if I have to work or something, then it feels innate. I wouldn't cancel a business meeting. It feels like something that I, you know, they'd have to understand. But it's always that struggle of when it's something for me. Like I'm going to go take a shower or I'm going to go on a walk and that's, you know, and that's the work. And that in itself, Michelle, you're right, is I feel like when we're when the kids are really little, we're teaching them things about, hey, I go out with my friends, too. Or your dad and I go out on dates or we have nights to ourselves, or whatever. But then as they get older, it has to be it's not just like, look at us. It's like we really have to you should be living it all along. I I wouldn't want to be a show. But as they get older, you really need to live it. Because they, that's how they get permission to do it themselves.
2: And it's so true. We hear over and over again, like, it's kind of that carpe diem thing. Do you remember what, that's sort of what put Glennon, what's her name?
0: Glennon Glennon. Glennon Doyle. Yep.
2: Kind of what put her on the map was she wrote that thing about how someone turned to her in target and said, you know, carpe diem, you should love every single moment with your kid. And she was like, but I don't, it's awful. And that was a great um, sort of introduction there to her. Um, but I think about that a lot when people say that about kids who are in high school and about to leave the nest, as you said, like you have to get them when they're available. It could be midnight if they want to come in and talk to you and wake you up. You have to listen. I can't pull that off. Like <laughs> If I'm tired and I need to sleep, sorry, kid, we got to talk another time. And I, I want parents to hear that. You are not always in service to building this connection. It'll happen more naturally than that. Yeah,
0: your are we 30 years ago, the greatest threats to teen health were drunk driving, pregnancy, and illicit drugs. Today, they are anxiety, depression, suicide, self harm, cyberbullying, screen time, and serious mental health disorders. Their experience is vastly different than our own. So let's get together and talk about it. ZPR 2024 is a two day in person live event, January 26th and 27th in Chicago go to zenparentingradio.com and get your tickets.
1: Join the circle, which is the Team Zen membership platform. It's an app with Zen Parenting Radio's complete parenting content, plus live talks on Zoom all in one place. We have small group discussions about money, raising healthy sons, differently wired families, and Kathy even has her own exclusive women's group. It's only $25 a month. You can cancel at any time. Our motto is zero pressure, 100% support.
0: Okay, everybody, there's three things you can do for us. If you haven't already, follow this podcast. That's good for you because you don't have to go looking for the show. And it's good for us because it helps people find us. You can subscribe to my Zen Parenting Moment newsletter, which comes out every Friday. It's just some information for you to make you feel better about your day and about your parenting overall. And then three, if you like this podcast, you will love Zen Parenting the book. I put together everything that we talk about on this show, all the essential points, all the things that people ask us about in one place. You can find Zen Parenting, the book, anywhere books are sold.
1: As parents, it can be really hard to find a podcast for our kids that's fun and engaging for the whole family. Give your kids a break from the screen with the Purple Rocket Podcast's award-winning audio adventures. Explore the universe aboard the space train. Learn about new cultures with twins Sawyer and Susie as they travel the world using their grandpa's magical globe. Or join Bo at Camp Dino, where he has to raise a dinosaur from an egg. Check out the whole audio adventure library by visiting purplerocketpodcast.com. Again, that's purplerocketpodcast.com. Now, on with the show. We're in service when they show up, and they're infants, and we literally have to stop yeah. in the middle of the night. And I feel like sometimes parents... Uh, still think they have to play by that playbook. And it's because these transitions are so subtle, we don't notice like we gotta let these people stand on their own two feet,
0: and you know something that we were able to share. we have a virtual community called Team Zen, and there a lot of them are their kids are graduating this year. So they're having this feeling of, oh my gosh, you know, not just empty nests, but this kid. they're going to go off and I have to impose I have to give them all this learning before they leave. And I know you know because you have two kids out of the house. we have two kids out of the house. We have one who's still here, that that relationship doesn't end like we're with our kids all the time. They're home all the time. All <laughs> the time. <Yes. laughs> so like that's something that we we can now say with experience is that it's not I feel like we feel like we need to build this connection and live this life as if our kid is going to go off and never come home. And the and right. the, you just it alters obviously because they're in a more adult world and it's more about their time and their schedule but you keep building in that relationship. So, you know, do you find that too?
2: I have loved every phase, every phase. I'm like, this is where it gets really fun. No, this is where it gets really fun. My husband used to say, oh, the the family fun factor is going way up. Like now we can take longer trips. Now we can do this. There's always something to look forward to this um, Thanksgiving break. It was being able to go to a pool hall and everybody's 21 and we could play billiards and mm-hmm. everybody could have a, you know, whiskey and Coke. And like, I was like, this is like being out with our friends mm. for the evening. Like, this is so fun. So it's always one more thing that we're sort of ramping up to that I'm like, wow, mm. even better. And then meeting a significant other. And then, yes. you know, there's like, the the fun just continues to grow exponentially for me. So I've I've enjoyed all the growth.
0: And the ability, like, you know, just going back to people who listen, you know, with younger kids, the ability to have those times with our kids when they're older, it really starts young as far as the, you know, all these things you write about, the, you know, the allowing our kids to have their own lives and talking to them about their challenges, also letting them fail. And when we, and, and it, this language gets so difficult for people, letting them fail. You're not going to create a failure for them. You're not going to put it on them and then say, I'm not going to help you. You just trust them with their lives and if you trust them with their lives, when they're 18, 19, 20, you know, getting into their 20s, they, they come to you because they're like, you're someone who trusts me with my life. So let me talk to you about these things. Like, don't, you know, do you, do you already talk about that in your, I'm um, you know, I'm trying to remember, especially middle school makeovers, this probably isn't the one, but do you talk about that in your books about building that connection early on?
2: Yeah, I think a big piece of building that connection is worrying less about teaching them a lesson, Mm -hmm. worrying less about being right and making sure that they know what's right. Parents feel like I have to hammer this home because they're going to go to college. And if they don't know how to be a kind, thoughtful, independent, mature, perfect person by the time they leave, then I've run out of time. Right. Right. And so we will sacrifice our relationships in order to teach a lesson. And, then when your kid is coming home for Thanksgiving break and then three weeks later coming home for the holiday break and then maybe their spring, like you see them a lot, as mm-hmm. we said, um, you you don't have a lot of foundation there anymore because what they're remembering was you um, b- being insistent yeah. on things instead of being flexible.
1: Well, it's so funny. Uh, two things. One is um, Rob Bell was a speaker at one of our earlier conferences and I love Rob Bell. And uh, one of the things I remember that he shared is the idea like we feel like we always have to be bestowing these lessons on our kid we need to be teaching our kids and one thing he said was it's too late you already are you're teaching them everything how to be a jerk how to be loving how to be mature how to be immature how to be conscious how to be unconscious like you're teaching them every single day based on how you live which sounds cliche but it's uh, the total truth and when uh one thing you just said so we do these end talks twice a month with our with our team and there's a friend of mine who is telling me about uh he's worried about his daughter in college and she's a junior and she's halfway through and like he's so worried and um he he was able to kind of see through it but like he i think he realized that he was buying into that there's a certain way that this is supposed to go and i'm like dude if if you were halfway through senior year of high school, I would agree with you, but... Wait, she's a junior in college or a junior sorry, in high school? sorry, okay. she's, a, she's junior a junior in high school. She's a junior in high school. So they're talking about the college experience that's upcoming. So sorry about that. And I said, if you were worried halfway through your daughter's senior year, I would agree with it. But the fact, like, I feel like he's already drinking some of the Kool-Aid that we have to be doing certain things. And, and the moral of the story is, you just got to make sure that you have your kids back and they see you as an ally Versus an adversary moving anywhere, and I just wonder if you could share anything that. about that.
2: I love that so much. I I have been telling this story, came up sort of organically when I'm as I'm on this book tour, um, and it it I think is sort of the perfect encapsulation of that. I can't tell you how horrified parents are when they hear this story that is seemingly to me. Not such a big deal. Mm-hmm. But uh, I talk about how my son, who's now 21 um, and a senior in college, had braces for six years growing up. It was a long period of wearing braces. And, and you know, you pay your flat fee. It was a lot of money. And, but then, like, all oh, the trips to the 15-minute check-ins and the broken wire. And, like, it was a huge investment of money and time and energy and everything else. And so after the six years, he gets his braces off and he was so happy to be done with it, understandably so, that he didn't want anything else in his mouth and he refused to wear his retainer. And right. (laughs) I mean, moms in the audience were like, (gasps) like gasping and holding their mouths and like, oh no, what could be done? And I told them, of course I wanted him to wear his retainer. It was so upsetting to me that he wouldn't wear the dumb retainer. And I tried to explain it to him and I, I could have gone several ways. I could have threatened him. I could have been like, listen, for all we've done mm-hmm. to get these teeth straight, you're not going out with friends on the weekend. You, you give me your phone right now until you promise me you're wearing that retainer every second. And he would have hated me, right? We would have locked horns and he would have hated me. Um, I could have tried bribing him. There are a million things I could have done. Ultimately, I just said to him, hey, all right, I've done what I can do it's in your hands now. Um, understand that if you, if your teeth shift, if anything changes, that's, that's goes into your court. Mm -hmm. Like you'll have to figure that out later. Um, and we had a very happy relationship as his teeth shifted, you know, (laughs) and, um, and they're not bad, but like he'll make a decision. later. he's bothered by them. He's bothered by them. So now he has a feeling of regret. is mm-hmm. the greatest teacher ever, right? right? Than if I had four, if I'd gone in and like shoved that retainer and held it in place or taken away his phone regrets, the best teacher, because now he is so much more disciplined about himself. Um, so it turned out great. He may end up, you know, caring about it enough to do something about it or not. He doesn't need to, he looks amazing. But. Okay.
1: That is such a great story. And my question is how hard was it for you to stand down?
2: For me, it was not particularly hard for my husband.
1: <laughs> and was because, it because you know me,
2: manager it, of emotions. Right, you're like, as long as you're okay.
1: Was it because yeah. your husband knew about the time and the money that was invested? Because that's where I would have gone. Like, listen, this was our money, our time, mm-hmm. we drove you, blah, blah, blah. And you're not going to throw all that away. Like, that's the attitude. I don't know if I would... I
0: was going to say, all those things <clears throat> you just said, you would never say. I'm. I'm that's in your... That's, there is a right. part of me a part of that you. would absolutely yeah. say that. Would I
1: actually do it? M- no. Probably not not, but that is where I would have gone. So it was easier for you, harder for your husband. Why was it harder for your husband?
2: Right. So my husband wouldn't say it to the kids, but it's the kind of thing where he'd say it to me. And that's where I'm then like, Oh, I got to manage how you feel about this. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, so he would say to me that, that it's disrespectful. It's like, we've done all of this Mm -hmm. and now he's just going to throw it all away. And my response to things like that is is, it's like giving somebody a gift. Like you can't control yeah. what they do with it. You can only give the gift, right? We yes. can only make these things available and then people do what they will with them. Um, so I think that bothered him. And then also a little bit of the, like the, the needing to be right for him. Mm-hmm. The like, but I know what's best. Sure. I want to spare you. And I know it comes from a place of love. And I know it comes from a very protective sort of feeling of like, I want you to get this right so you can continue to get it right Mm -hmm. and be happier and be, you know, all these things. Um, But yeah, I just think the real lesson is how does the kid learn? And and if you have a kid who's an experiential learner who learns by going through it, not by being told... Then sometimes you just have to sit back and brush your hands off and say let's see how this plays out.
1: So let's go down the road. Let's pretend you did the other thing and forced bribed whatever. Right. What would have been compromised is your relationship with your son and his relationship with you, right? But he would have had straight straight teeth. So <laughs> what so I I think it's safe to say that everybody knows that Kathy and I are on board with what you did, but It's so hard to make that decision in the moment.
0: But is it? Like, I really want to, like, dive into this because I think that it's not a moment decision. It's a moment-by-moment decision. You're deciding every day. I'm not going to say anything about this. And and I always, like, play it out all the way. So, like you said, so his teeth are going to shift a little bit. And maybe when he's 25 or 30 or 35, my sister ended up getting braces again when she was like 48, like wore them for a year. And things are so different. You can do Invisalign now. I think my point is, is he's got a story too. Like we had a daughter. Our middle daughter was pretty traumatized by the whole teeth thing. She was kind of like a guinea pig in a lot of ways with some things. We were doing new things with, what was it called? that thing that's the, expand- oh, the expander. We had that team. yes. So she went through a lot of things that were somewhat traumatizing for her I mean she will say whoa all that orthodontics so you can kind of understand a kid being like I'm not gonna put anything in my mouth for a little bit there's Mm -hmm. a story that he he's not you know and and again you guys know this because you talked you know this is what you're saying but he's not saying I think I'm gonna really piss off mom and dad and not wear my retainer because they I'm I don't respect them and he's like I'm struggling with this and so I'm gonna go this way and I'll figure it out later Mm.
2: I think, you know, we can very clearly say, here's here's how I see this. Yeah. Here's how, here, a couple ways this could pan out. They don't shift. Great. Maybe they do shift. Here are your options. If that happens, you've got to make the decision. Also, I'm a big sort of your body, your choice person. Same. So like, if it's, you know, I'm not going to force some kind of medical treatment on you that isn't really necessary. Like if I have to make decisions about, vaccines for my kids when they're little, things like that, then that's, to me, is very different than something that's more cosmetic, you know, yeah. that sort of thing, or enables you to play a sport or whatever it might be. Um, so I think your choice, you and, and what I think my kid needed at that time was a parent who trusted him yeah. and said, I hear what you're saying and I believe you believe you. Yeah. Whatever.
1: Well, and it's interesting because I feel like there needs to be a um, some thoughtfulness about what's at risk. And a four-year-old running out into the street while a car is driving by, that's a different story. Yeah. Or teenage pregnancy or whatever it is, some type of irreversible-ish right. decision. Whereas teeth shifting, its that's a big deal. But it's not running out in the street when you're four-year-old, big deal. And it's not something, you know, because us parents, we get so jacked up about stuff that means nothing.
0: And I think a lot of reason that we get really jacked up, and this is why, you know, like the thing that we've been talking about on Zen Parenting for 80,000 years is the self-awareness piece. Because if you understand why this bothers you so much, it's really easy to pull back and make a decision that has more clarity and more um, comfort or at least um, – uh, present day experience for your child, so you're not living in your history and saying you have to do this. For example, with the teeth, like a, a parent who's like, "I didn't get to have braces, I didn't have orthodontics," or a parent who were teased about their teeth, or a parent who you know broke a tooth or yeah. whatever. There's so much energy in teeth. They're for working them. from that wound. They're work. So when they're saying to their kid, "You don't understand," really, they're talking about their teeth. Yes. They're not talking about their kid's teeth.
2: And I wonder how you feel about this relating to what, this is the hardest thing for me to watch. Uh, I don't even know how to say it. This trend towards health and wellness that parents are, I feel, desperately trying to control appearance through the guise of health and wellness and I am just aghast. And I don't know. And, and that sounds like a dramatic reaction. But I'm so worried about kids too. whose parents are so heavily invested in, well, you need to fuel your body, right? And you need to have the right nutrition and all this stuff. And I'm like, it just feels like it'd be terrible to to have to hear that yeah. as a
0: child. And what it's those thoughts? those words, Michelle, the words healthy. Mm-hmm. We have had a lot of experiences in our family with eating disorders. Like, you know, it's mm-hmm. something we've, ta- that's why we're having people um, at our conference. Uh, conference who are talking about eating disorders. We have um, a therapist and a dietitian who work together because, and they're amazing. Like they, you'll love them. You're going to be like, mm, I need to, you know, because they're right. so, they're so thoughtful about these things and about language and about, because the word healthy has been hijacked. A hundred percent. And the word like, you know, what does it mean? And our generation, you know, us as Gen Xers, we grew up with the most ridiculous kind of eating patterns. The food that, that was available to us, my parents were on a diet, All the time. Like I remember in the basement, you know, Nutrisystem boxes. I remember Weight Watchers. I remember. And I was doing. Yeah. yeah, Oh, yeah. And you'd like, yeah, you'd have like stomach problems for days. And then, and then there'd be like, you know, Slim Fast, let's get rid of and there's and this is still available. I'm not saying it's gone. But we have been trained to have, there's a difference between, and, and and again, I know people debate this, but this is how Todd and I talk about it. There's a difference between an eating disorder, which is clinical, and disordered eating, which I yes. think the majority of our generation has and beyond, because we're teaching the same habits. Like, a, it's kind of like uh, the example I gave last night to Todd was there's depression, everybody experienced depression, and then there's clinical depression, you know, so yeah. eating disorder, disordered eating. But it's like we do these things, and then we worry about our kids. And we also don't understand. And this is why the whole thing with Ozempic kind of sucks. Where I'm I'm so glad that I'm always happy that there's new alternatives for people. It's not that I'm mad at Ozempic, but we were kind of getting to a place where people are like, oh, different bodies, Mm. different looks, different health can come in many different forms. It's not about, you know, BMI is, I can't, we don't swear on the show, but it's crap. It doesn't mean anything. And we were just starting to get to that place. And now everybody's like, Ozempic, you can take a shot. And I and so I am just as concerned as you are, because I think the language and fasting for kids. Oh, no, no, no.
2: It just feels like whether it's food stuff, body health, wellness stuff, or wearing your retainer, or, you know, getting into the very best college that your friends are saying they're going to go to, whatever it is, it feels to me like the the need for control has ramped up to yes. almost every aspect of our kids' lives. You know, whereas like it used to be like, I mean, I sound like a really nostalgic old person right now, but I just am a little bit longing for the like I don't know what my kid ate today. They they're they fed themselves, they found stuff and they're fine, um as opposed to that like high level of control. I had a parent ask me on book tour about their son wearing a baseball hat all the time he felt most comfortable when he was wearing a baseball hat and she didn't want him to wear the hat and what should she do and I was like I I think you should just let him wear the baseball <laughs> hat and she was like but he can't wear it everywhere and I was like couldn't he you know I'm like it seems like he probably could wear it I mean maybe not to a funeral but maybe to a funeral I don't really know like I don't know and uh so she was like, "But I want him to wear it at school," and I was like, "Is it against the rules?" And she said, "No," but I told his teachers not to let him wear it. And I was like, oh, "The level out. of of needing to control the minutiae mm-hmm. of what's happening. I don't. I I feel sad because I know it's a desperate a- attempt to um, to not lose it, yeah. right? Right. But it's not. It's not good for us to no. have that level of control. And who's the actress? Someone just Jennifer. Jennifer. <laughs> I love her. Lawrence. No, you're going to know in a second. She does all the work with kids. She said she she was married to Ben Affleck. Oh, me.
0: Jennifer Garner. Yeah.
2: Garner just said she some she likes to treat her kids with benign neglect.
0: Yes. Like Yes. And I
2: love that Great. saying. I think Great. it's that's what we need more of.
0: I know we just I'm sorry Ted, I know you but just like that that thing, you know, like you said, some of us, especially Gen Xers are like, "Oh, we were like feral children and we were on our own and we were and there's such a beauty in that. And we have overcompensated, like I understand, I was also very lonely and was a latchkey kid and, and did, you know, like we needed to kind of ramp it up a bit, but we, we overcompensated, you know, like we just went way too far where now we think that anything we're not noticing is literal neglect. We're like, I didn't know that. How did I not know that? And We talk about this a lot with parents who are dealing with school and, you know, knowing their kids grades and power school and having access to it. There's a culture of you didn't know that, you know, there is a culture of even the school saying sending because I'm getting emails from my kid's school this week. Obviously, she's a sophomore in high school. You know, we want parents to know this, check this, do this. And it's like you you can't check out because the culture around you is expecting you to be on, you know, like hypervigilant as well.
1: I think Kathy has much more patience. And let's just pick on baseball hat lady for a second. I would, there'd be a part of me that would be like, lady, do your own work. This has to do with your relationship with your control. This has to do with how your child walks through this earth is dependent on how you feel about yourself and how other people perceive you. I just don't know how to say that without being a jerk. So I usually just (laughs) shut up. But that's Where I always go to is like do your own work, investigate your own reactivity. Why is this so important? And maybe she just needed to hear from you that it was okay if he wears his hat. But Uh there's a part of me that's like, just do your work, lady. And and I got to say that to myself because it's so easy to get reactionary or defensive or try to put control on. You know what happens is we want to control our kids because we feel out of control ourselves. So, Uh
0: so Michelle, this book, you know, eight setbacks you are on this book tour, obviously, like the lady with the hat, you know, a lot of people are asking you questions. And this book is about failure, and about allowing our kids to fail well, you know, which um, you put something on Instagram today that I loved. Um, It was about like fail more or what did what was it?
2: It was like, I happened to be in a cute little gift shop the other day. And it was a little Samuel Beckett quote printed up on a card. They had a You could fish through the bowl and pick out the quotes you liked. It was very cute, like typewriter font. And um, it just was a little quote of his that ended with like fail, fail more, fail better, you know, all this thing. And really the idea behind the book itself is that not only is it good for kids to fail. um, I think it's the necessary step in helping a child become an adult. Uh, There's a ton of research in here um, that, that spans, Decades and centuries uh, around what the sort of universal truths are about how people grow up. What lessons do we need to learn? How do we become more adult in our way of thinking? And a key piece of that is you have to be challenged enough to um, go off on your own, do something independently without your parents there, without Mm -hmm. someone trying to control you. You make a mistake You learn from that mistake and you have an epiphany and you grow. And maybe that happens a million little times, or maybe it happens one big time, probably happens a million little times for most people. But we can all probably remember a moment from being a latchkey kid or from going to summer camp or being at school when our parents weren't around where we did something and we realized that was wrong and then had a real aha moment and a parent didn't have to rub it in our face, Mm -hmm. make us write an essay about what we learned. Right. You knew, like, I shouldn't have said that to that person. I could see I hurt their feelings, or I shouldn't have stolen that candy bar, or I shouldn't have, whatever. That is how we grow, and we can't just. Read books on how to be a good person or watch movies about it. You have to experience it. Well, and one thing that I
1: adopted is the world is hard enough. Like the world is going to give our kids and ourselves all the lessons. Our job is to stay in connection. So kind of like you with the braces, like that is so beautiful. So we got six minutes left and I want to make sure that we cover anything else that you want to cover, sweetie. I don't. know Wait if you before
0: have a before you go there. We do not just have six minutes. Is that it? Yes. I <laughs> feel like you just. I, I know this is the most cliche thing to say, but I feel like we started two seconds ago. I have like <laughs> eighty thousand things on here. But oh shoot! Okay. What that's it's okay. We're gonna we're still gonna do the hard stop, but I. A few things that I wanted to say about that. One is what we talk about, you know, you said it, a lot of cuts, you know, a lot of ex- experiences. A, th- a lot of times we think death by a thousand cuts, but it's really growth by a thousand cuts. You know, it's like yes. all these things that, that have to happen. And I heard this is what I wanted to share with you. I heard Esther Perel on a podcast yesterday. She was on Chelsea Handler's podcast, and she said her favorite question that she's been asking people lately is Were you allowed to go out and play by yourself?
2: Oh, yeah.
0: Because that helps her when she's working with couples or working with individuals on how to approach them. Because if you were not allowed to go out and play by yourself and learn, you don't get to pick up that bike or someone will yell at you or you have to, you know, be quick or you'll get left behind or all of those childhood experiences. If you don't learn that, if your parent is micromanaging your life, you experience Mm -hmm. life different. Mm -hmm. So isn't that a great question?
2: I love that question. I'm so happy that I can think for myself and from my husband's stories of being a kid, like there, there were these very feral, like rogue elements to our childhood that I remember so fondly. Mm.
0: Me too. No doubt. Mm-hmm. Me too. Um,
1: four minutes, Michelle, anything, we didn't really talk much about the book. Uh, we kind of told you that was going
0: to happen. Um, it's, but it's, it's her books. Everybody knows about Michelle's books. I mean, <laughs> I, I feel like we're promoting her books, but people know her. Like she's known for being the middle school person. Mm-hmm. So, and like I said, this book—what is the age group for eight for eight setbacks? What's the range?
2: This is my first book that is eight to eighteen. Okay, so cool. it's it's all through child, late childhood and adolescence, not completely through adolescence because we know it goes all the way to like mid twenties, but all the way through high school. And um, I think what I what I want people to know about the book is that it's every kid experiences failure at some point, And it does. It might not be dramatic. It might you might not know that they're going through it, yeah. but it's really key to know how you respond to your child when they are facing some kind of a setback or a challenge. That's what helps them grow and learn from it. As we talked about before, that's what pushes them towards adulthood, your reaction. Mm-hmm. And if you have a reaction um, that is not positive, you can kind of get them stuck there in that phase. So really, the the idea behind the book is I know my kid's going to butt up against something at some point. I want to be prepared so I know how to respond in a way that's going to help them grow and learn from that.
0: Mm. I'm so glad that book is out there because that's exactly, you know, I'm so glad you wrote about it and you talk about it. And when we decided to do this conference again, because last year we did a virtual Mm -hmm. one because obviously covid we were still worried about covid um but you were the first person that we wanted at this conference so just so you know i mean duffy does it every year so he's just a given we just he's just he's basically done, you know but he's he's kind of bothered yeah like anytime we do it he's in but michelle you are the first person because i'm so impressed with your work and i just think you're wonderful so i just just thank you for doing what you do
2: Oh my gosh. I'm honored. Thank you.
0: The name of the book is eight
1: setbacks that can make a child a success. And Michelle will be keynoting
0: on Saturday. She's on Saturday. Yeah. And then we're doing two things with Michelle. Um, she has her own keynote where she's going to talk about whatever she wants to talk about because she's the expert. We don't micromanage that part. And then at the end of the day, for the, like the last 30, 40 minutes, it's going to be Todd and I and Michelle and Duffy. We're going to do just like a panel where people can ask questions. So we're, there, all it's going to be is Q&A. So you'll get lots of good time with uh, Michelle.
1: Michelle, thank you so much. We will see you in about six weeks. Go buy the book, everybody. And get ready for Michelle coming into Chicagoland uh, on January 26th and 27th. Yeah.
2: Bring me all your baseball hat related questions. <laughs>
0: we will. And wait, say your website so people know oh, where to find good you. Good idea.
2: Oh, it's just my name. So it's Michelle with two L's and my last name is I-C-A-R-D.com.
0: And go follow her on Instagram, everybody.
2: Please.
1: All right. We're going to do this. Uh, see you all next week. Keep trucking. And uh, we'll have Duffy next week, I think.
0: We will? Yeah, I think so. We'll get it. We'll get, we'll get him over. in here eventually. Um, so we'll see you all next week. Hey, everybody. We're thrilled to announce that the Zen Parenting Conference is back, live and in person, in 2024.
1: This year, our exclusive event will be centered around teens. Why? Why? Because 30 years ago, the greatest threats to teen health were drunk driving, pregnancy, and illicit drugs. Today, it's currently anxiety, depression, suicide, self harm, cyberbullying,
0: and serious mental health disorders. Their experience is vastly different than our own. So let's get together and talk about it. We owe it to them to listen, to have honest conversations, and to live our way through it together. If you're currently
1: parenting a teenager or have an emerging teen, this is an event you absolutely won't want to miss. We have limited seating this year, so secure your spot now. Go to zenparentingradio.com.
0: If you have appreciated or enjoyed a decade of Zen Parenting Radio podcasts, please tell a friend or leave a five-star review. We are grateful for your support. If you want more Zen Parenting, consider joining Team Zen Circle, our very own app that includes our virtual community, exclusive content, and support from us.
1: You could also purchase Kathy's award-winning book, Zen Parenting: Caring for Ourselves and Our Children in an Unpredictable World, or subscribe to Zen Parenting Moment. You can find these opportunities and more at zenparentingradio.com/resources. And if you want to connect through social networking, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Keep trucking, and we'll talk to you again next week.